other countries they have cold weather so it was really really rampant but because of the fact that the period it was so it was really much here in nigeria the sun was part of what helped us uh, the luck we have in this part of the country is um, uh, our weather, our climate, and uh, maybe our, uh, the kind of food we eat. Do you know what's ironic? WhatsApp. Because WhatsApp is private and encrypted, we will never know how many people received the first few false coronavirus messages. Messages like gargling with salt water will prevent the disease, or that helicopters will spray the streets overnight so you should stay indoors, or that hot water will kill the virus. Now, to be fair, the weather will kill the virus theory was a valid speculation in the beginning. When COVID hit Europe in March 2020, it was winter. This was a respiratory illness. Perhaps hot weather will kill the disease. Some people even thought that Africans were immune. Remember, 575,000 people hadn't died in Brazil at that point, or that more than 30 million people will contract COVID in India, and 648,000 Americans hadn't yet died of the disease, many during the summer of 2020 and in hot places like California and Florida. So the real-life data tells us African Americans are more likely to contract the disease than most other Americans, according to John Hopkins University and more likely to die from it when they do. Clearly, there are complex reasons for this. But the real-life data tells us that being African and living somewhere hot will not protect you. But these false messages live on, on people's phones, spread by well-meaning friends and colleagues, aunties and uncles. But that's the challenge with WhatsApp, isn't it? This web-based telephone messaging service which is taking over the world. It makes all messages equal, even the fake messages. We now know that it was one of the biggest drivers of fake health messages in Africa. It must drive medical professionals crazy. Okay, my name is uh, Emmanuel Roy Kulundu. I'm a registered nurse from uh, Kenya, Mombasa. Like everyone else, he's heard a lot of the rumors. As a nurse, okay. I'm sure you must have heard some Kenyans talk to you about using herbs and native medicine and how it will boost their immune system and they'll be fine. I'm, I hope I'm not putting words in. I'm guessing because I'm guessing that must have come up. <laughs> so <laughs> if it has, please tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, very sure, very sure. You are you are you are right on spot. Um, we have had uh, these number of cases where people come even with a. Uh, with uh, some of the herbal medicines at the hospital, you know, when they come and they are really gasping for air, they tell you, you know, this is what I've been using at home. And recently we have had the government trying to to uh, abolish the home care, home care nursing that has been going on because people have been using some of the remedies at home that uh, we can't really clear clarify which kind of uh, medicine it is. But we have had uh, things like there's a, a famous a famous uh, uh, herbal herbal medicine called moringa so moringa is being used widely people are really taking it with hot water they just mix it with hot water it's like a green kind of powder so it is believed that it boosts your immunity there's also some of the masais around who 
make uh, some of the concussions and they believe that they cure any kind of disease you can just take a glass of it and you'll be cured of malaria of even flu and anything so also masais are really really bringing this uh, uh this thing around you know to make profit and stuff like that so uh we have people who are taking pineapple tea which is not really herbal but i think it is just uh, good for the immunity but some of these other things you know we cannot really know how they interact with the kind of medicine we we provide in the hospital so we are trying to tell people you know just come when you're feeling bad just come to the hospital get the right medicine and seek at least some of the advice from uh, from your healthcare providers because most of these herbal medicine they interact their drug interaction uh, with the with the with the with the medicine that they are being they are being given it can be quite dire Just like fake medical news, WhatsApp is huge across the world. It's so popular that everyone from your granny to the Taliban uses it. In fact, it guarantees privacy so well that WhatsApp is currently struggling to close Taliban accounts. So what does the Taliban and Somali terror group Al-Shabaab for that matter have to do with COVID-19, you might think? More than you realize. Charles Creel will explain. He's a man who brought down Cambridge Analytica. although he's too modest to admit it. Well, a lot of people brought down Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> including themselves. Cambridge Analytica being the British consulting firm that harvested the data of up to 87 million Facebook profiles to provide analytical help for Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. It was a big story at the time. I have worked in broadcasting my whole life but i was spending uh, a lot of time in conflict zones working to uh, do capacity development with local journalists and so on for several years and that led me to um submitting evidence to the house of commons dcms select committee uh on fake news and disinformation and they ended up hiring me as their special advisor for the fake big fake news investigation where we brought down cambridge analytica um so that's the i became this accidental expert in disinformation um while that was happening um and simultaneously i've just finished Uh, or we have released a documentary about disinformation um and that investigation and I've just finished the edit on a new documentary that'll come out in October um on disinformation and coronavirus within the field of disinformation his champions league he spent a lot of time in the wilder parts of the internet what's the weirdest stuff he's heard this child eating thing um that there is a cabal of the elite uh who are running the world um and that coronavirus is a massive mind control experiment um and you know the only reason that they're keeping us alive is so that we can produce children that they can have sex with and then eat uh so i think that's probably one of the wildest uh things that i'm hearing He's interested in the complex ways that disinformation connects very different people. Say QAnon, a racist right-wing American conspiracy cult who believe that Donald Trump is the Messiah. Al-Qaeda, an Islamic terror group, and yoga moms, people who like to stretch and relax. So how does that happen? 
at some point, we're all looking online. And online, this disinformation is being spread by really very, very few sources. Um, it was said recently, and, and forgive me for keeping referring to the United States, but it's the area where I know the most about. It was recently said that uh, 67, roughly 67% of uh, disinformation around coronavirus is coming from 12 different people and their related companies. And that is true. And then that information gets picked up by international networks of people um, in whose best interest it is that people should not get vaccinated. And that best interest could be political. That best interest could be um, financial. Um, they might be they might be flogging vitamins. On the other hand, they might be flogging a political candidate, or they might be flogging genocide. And anti-vax sentiment feeds all of these things. The strange thing is, even though these myths have been disproved, they linger on in cyberspace and in the imagination, often outliving their instigators, and the job of countering these myths goes on. My name is uh, Peter Moy fact-checking journalist uh, working with uh, BBC Reality Check. Uh, I'm based in Nairobi, Kenya. He covered the curious case of the late Dr. Stephen Karanja in Kenya, who was head of the Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association. Dr. Karanja was, uh, was leading a group of, um, of pro-lifers. Uh, this is a group that is, uh, that is against uh, abortion. It's, it's, a group within, uh, it's a group of doctors within, within the Catholic Church. And basically what he was, what he was saying was uh, he was anti-vaccine, anti-the vaccine. And then he was claiming that there, there, there are other ways that this virus can be can be cured. And um, he was also supporting, uh, yeah, for those people who have heard about uh, ivermectin. Okay, let's stop there. Ivermectin is used by vets to treat heartworm and by doctors to control parasites. So in very specific doses, it's safe for humans, but there is no evidence at all that it works in COVID, despite celebrity endorsements. In fact, a recent major study on the drug was pulled because of falsified and fraudulent data. He also mentioned hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and even mentioned steam in a bizarre statement of provably false claims about COVID-19. It was like a list of some of the less believable fringe claims on the internet. Dr. Karanja even mentioned Bill Gates. His letter also put him into conflict with both the Kenyan church and the Pope, who both campaigned for fairer vaccine distribution. Ivermectin, the, the, the drug, he was claiming that it's, uh, it's, it's, it, can, uh, it can control uh, the virus. And then he was also advocating for, these other, uh, for, for other herbal remedies. Then, Dr. Karanja died of COVID. And... Um, what happened is uh once once he was he's gone um we haven't had like the doc the the group that was that was uh behind him like coming out coming out openly uh to to still advocate advocate for for what he believed in but then uh when you move from from kenya to to neighboring tanzania um tanzania where we had uh president uh john magufuli who who passed on in uh in March, uh, he was also anti-vax and uh, was advocating for this um, for these herbal remedies and uh, other other traditional ways of curing diseases such, such as uh, steam inhalation. Um, when, when he when he when he died, 
um, most of the, most of what he had propagated and people who were behind him, most of them have have continued uh, spreading this misinformation. And do you know what's ironic about the high privacy levels on WhatsApp? It's that the platform is owned by Facebook, a firm whose business model relies on personal data being publicly accessible. Facebook, who were fined $5 billion for their part in deceiving users about their inability to keep personal information private. Remember the Cambridge Analytical story we mentioned earlier. On the subject of keeping things out of the public domain, just how do you prove that people are dying of COVID in a country where the disease doesn't officially exist? Peter will talk us through the process. Yes, yeah, uh, the, the latest story that we worked on, it was sort of a follow-up to a story that we had done previously, uh, just before Magufuli died. There was information all over social media that people people were dying, that uh, the, the country had been badly hit by COVID. While the government was still insisting that uh, it was coronavirus free, that there were no cases. So we went out to try and investigate whether we could find evidence that the COVID 19 is actually uh, spreading and killing people in Tanzania. And what we did is uh, we, because now there was more information coming from the government, and doctors were very, very much worried about speaking openly or speaking to journalists because they, they knew that they could be victimized. So what we did, we tried to use other other sources and indicators as to what was happening inside uh, Tanzania. One of the things that we did is look at, at whether we could see maybe an increase in the rates of, of barriers at, at, in cemeteries uh, across major towns. And we were doing this using using satellite imagery so that we could see, like, okay, for example, this, this place was, didn't have any, any graves before, but then we have all these graves that have been dug within a, a, very, a very short time. That one didn't yield uh, any important information. It's, it's mostly because because most of the, the the cemeteries within the the urban centers, most of them are, are already full, and what was happening is you you have people digging graves on top of other graves because the cemetery is already full, and then not all uh not all people bury their dead in in cemeteries. You have people burying in their homes, and and for that it's it, it's a bit hard to track. Uh, so what we also did is we we spoke to to funeral directors and people who are involved in coffin making, and they're the ones who told us that uh, within this within that period. The business was booming. That there was a lot of demand for coffins and uh, and and people renting buses uh, to travel for funerals, and that was one one, one pointer. And then we also had yeah, a senior bishop, uh, a senior bishop within the Catholic Church, saying that they had a, a very high number of, of priests dying within a very short period. That it wasn't usual for them to, to experience such a high number. So that was another pointer. Um, we also because of the the spread of the internet, what normally happens nowadays is people people go online and start searching a particular topic. And what had been noticed in other countries, and even in, in Tanzania when they were using the data, is that there's a sort of a correlation, um, a relation between searching for sy- symptoms that are specific to COVID and the the number of COVID cases within a particular country. So we also looked at, at how Tanzan- Tanz- people in Tanzania were searching for, for these symptoms. And we could see some spikes uh, corresponding to the period when, when we suspected that uh, when we had this information that the, the COVID-19 pandemic was was badly, badly affecting people. Yeah, so now from that, we, we worked on this other piece to check what had changed from previous um, state that we had, uh, we had encountered. 
Yes, and um, what happened is we noticed that uh, with the change of government and change of policy at the top level, very many things had, had changed, including um, the government accepting vaccines in the government adopting popularization of masks, wearing of masks and uh, social distancing and washing of hands. And you could you could see this was a, a big departure from, from Magufuli's time. There was someone on, on the ground for, for us, but then because of their security and safety, we we decided that we were not going to mention them anywhere. And then the other thing that we also did was uh, was to to make sure that we we hide like the identity of the people we spoke to. Because we know when when governments want to to go after people who have spoken to the media, like they they would, they would basically go for go for them once they're identified. We also spoke to some to some doctors, and uh, we made sure that we were we, we were we were talking to them through not through the normal the normal mobile lines, but through uh, encrypted messaging apps so that it would be a bit hard for them to be tracked because they were also worried uh, about their safety. Uh, once like, if they know that they were the ones who gave information, uh, then the government or security agencies will go after them. The the only challenge that I would, I would mention was was uh, getting information uh, in a period when the government was was cracking down on the on on the sharing of in, the information. So uh, like there were these are these were obstacles that you had to encounter before before you for you to work on 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 the story. So Nelly, what did you learn from researching and recording today's episode? I learned what we all know. Being a journalist is an incredibly risky job, and also that. It will take a village for COVID-19 to finally be be controlled. It will take all of us doing what we must do, believing the facts and stop having debates on false stories and rumors and just listening to medical professionals. One of the things that, that I find a bit frightening is some of the interviews I've heard where people say, well, I'm African Therefore, I'm genetically not capable of catching COVID. What What do you think about that rumor? Well, it's false. It's the same for everyone, for every race. Asians, you know, get COVID. We can see what's happening um, in India. And Africans all over the world and people of African heritage all over the world definitely have been um, contracting COVID. So that has nothing to do with, um, you know, with with our genetics, it's the same for everyone. African-Americans are more likely to die of COVID. They're more likely to catch it than most other racial groups. So can you kind of unpack that for us? We know that some of the reasons why um, African-Americans are, as we said in our, you know, in the podcast, is a complex situation where African-Americans are more likely to contract it. They live in more poorer conditions, in more um, compact spaces, in crowded places. They barely have health insurance. And there are reasons, historical reasons, for a distrust of medical interventions in the African-American community, as well as other societal and structural issues, which, interestingly, are the same things Africans in Africa could, you know, experience as well. I mean, they have the Tuskegee um, history there. And in, in here in Nigeria, we have the Pfizer uh, business in Kano, you know, and those are medical interventions gone wrong in such a way that generations after that community and that society constantly is reminded of how much um, a medical community has turned them into guinea pigs, for instance. And that is difficult. That trust, I believe, is what um, 
COVID is reminding us that um, the medical community and the, the vaccination industry, I use that on purpose, you know, is um, responsible for. They need to get people to trust them again and believe in what they are again. And that transparency is yet to be, it, well, they're, they're trying now with COVID, but that transparency is yet to be effective and for some people yet to be seen. Uh, so basically that's it. These structural issues apply across board and that's a bigger problem than than our podcast could cover, but we it, it remains to be said. And, and what's coming up? Uh, what's in episode three? Oh, episode three takes us to Abjata, full-on story about how Al-Shabaab has decided that COVID is an important issue that they should pay attention to. Isn't that interesting? Um and and how how exactly does Al Shabab use this messaging, Nick? Well, Abjata is going to tell us all about that. And if you don't know, um, Al Shabab is a terrorist group that's based uh, around the uh, Sahel region and um, Somalia, Kenya, and they are as dangerous as they come. In the same league with um, Al Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, and there you go, Al Shabab. They say that COVID nineteen does not exist, right? And then they kidnap you if they think you have a flu because they can't test for COVID. They don't know for sure if you have COVID. So if they think you have a flu and then they target women particularly. So if you hear Al-Shabaab tell the story, there's no COVID. But if that woman coughs, she must have COVID. But oh, no, men don't have COVID. So it's an interesting, interesting view. The last word is with Charles. We asked him how you go about spotting fake news. It's an important life skill these days. This podcast is part of IWPR's Africa Resilience Network program. For more about the project, including how to verify COVID-19 misinformation, go to africaresiliencenetwork.com. Presented by Nelly Kalu. Produced by Nick Raystrick for IWPR. Written by Nick Raystrick and Nelly Kalu. Sound engineering by Lee Sperry. It's interesting how, how you go about spotting fake news because you, first you have to have an intuition that it may well be fake news to make it worth doing all the research that you need to do to ensure that something is fake news because nobody is going to um, look at multiple sources and research every piece of news information that they get. Um, so uh, a couple of, couple of tests for it are, does it sound so good and so like what exactly you would like to hear about a subject um, that it that it um, plucks all your schadenfreude uh, uh, chords, then you might want to look and ensure that it's it, whether it's fake news or whether it's reliable information. Um, and then another one is if it sounds so ridiculous that it's quite hard to believe, um, you might want to look into it as well. Now, we've just gone through uh, for more than four and a half year period um, where lots of the news that was readily verifiable and confirmed uh, met both of those things, uh, often at the same time. Um, so there's been a lot of scramble just to check every piece of information that you get.